0: Good days and bad days, ups and downs. Feels like this month has been a lot more volatile than um or at least in my trading has been more volatile than previous months, but Me too. Yeah. How how are you doing?
1: Last week I was red every single day except for Friday. This week it's... I was red yesterday, green today a little bit, but so yeah. bad. It's just bad.
2: Dude, it's been really tough uh, This this week And well, Dude. honestly, the last three weeks I would probably say
0: Yeah, that's what we're it's talking like, about It's, it's like uh, You'll get like a short window Of like less than a minute Of like momentum And then it's just a race for the exits Yeah <laughs> <Damn. laughs>
2: It's only worth it if you work for it It's only worth it if you work for it I won't
0: stop till they hear me now I won't stop till I wear the crown.
2: That's exactly what it is. That's exactly yep. it.
0: But I've been, uh, I kind of co- was comparing like my previous um, like recordings, like my screen recordings when I didn't have DOS and when I did have DOS Trader. And I was like, how the heck was I ever trading stocks without DOS Trader? Because on the on the ladder, I was primarily using a ladder instead mm-hmm. of the level two. And if a stock was moving so fast, the ask price or the bid price, depending on which direction the price was going, it would the ask amount would be off the screen. I wouldn't even see the the level one. It wouldn't even be on the screen because the the ladder would just shoot straight up yeah. or straight down. So I was like completely in the blind uh, if I ever wanted to catch a breakout or or uh, a breakdown or catch a dip um, because it was just not even on the screen. And, you know, that's exactly why I was like, not trading bigger price stocks because of the spread was a little bit wider. And then it made it even more apparent of the bid in the ass, not even being on my screen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the DOS is helping me like read the level two a lot better.
1: Are you focusing more on level two now with DOS or is it like, how much were you focusing on level two on TOS?
0: I was focusing on level two when I could see it, which is why I primarily traded stocks like between two and $5. But now with DOS, I can feel more comfortable trading $10 or $15 mm. stocks with like a 10 cent or 15 cent spread, because I can actually see the bid in the ask. Um, but yeah, I primarily, I, I always focus on the level two and just the amount on the bid and the ask. And then as well as the speed of the tape, what I found on DAS is you can, it's so much clearer, like night and day, just recognizing the speed of the tape Uh, when you're looking for, let's say you know, a dip, you know, if this, if the tape is like, like start speeding up, but price isn't moving on the dip, you know, that there's somebody soaking there and also on a anticipating a breakout, like the tape will be normal. It'll be normal. Like, you know, a little pops of green a little pops of sellers. And then just out of nowhere at like a key pivotal moment uh for a breakout, you'll see the tape just flood with orders, just flood 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 it's just so so much more obvious now with dos uh just because of that it's not having that refresh rate that tos has you can tell Mm -hmm. that tos is not really kind of fluent i guess with the orders um but yeah you can tell when the tape speeds up and you can and you can time that breakout a lot better
1: that's awesome i was just in the shower like 25 minutes ago and i was thinking to myself about how funny it is that um Cause I remember like a month ago, I read a quote to Alex and uh, Danny and, I, and it basically was like a Mike, Mike Bellafiori quote from SMB capital. And the whole thing was like, you should never trade based on feel like everything should be written up in a playbook and it should be more of like, you know, this, when this happens and this happens and this happens, that is when I trade. And I was just in the shower and I was like, the fact that I'm the guy, I'm the one out of f- all five of us that makes no money, and I'm the dude that's trying to do playbooks and shit, and you guys are kind of doing all intuition-based trading. Not really, but it's much more of like a feel-based thing. And I was like, dude, they're literally trading the tape, basically, um, whether that's through the price action candlestick formation or just looking at level two and the, and the actual uh, tape itself. But... I just thought it was kind of funny that like you guys are all doing that in some aspect and I'm not at all. So yeah,
0: it is a very much fear base and you have to, to make a decision so quick, you have to kind of rely it on your intuition or else if you're thinking too much, then uh, you won't be there quick enough. You won't have to move quick enough. Um, and I, I find out that like SMB capital does kind of focus a little bit more on larger time frames. And longer hold position, like yeah. holding positions. Um,
2: they do, so they do. I've seen that, a lot of their videos. That's a little bit
0: you can't really, at least for someone with my sort of trading style, like scalping is a little bit you kind of have to take their advice with a grain of salt just because yeah, it doesn't sure. always apply to your trading.
1: Yeah, they're only trading small caps like those one out of maybe five times a year where you get that, you know, five dollar to two hundred dollar run, you know. They're not just waking up every day like, oh, let's look for runners. You know, they're just trying to trade large caps if they have to, futures if they have to, options if they have to, and then small caps whenever it's like that five times a year awesome opportunity type thing.
2: It's a bit the opposite of what Tom and I do. Like, it'll be like five times of the year, the large caps are so hot that we'll actually true. trade the large caps <laughs> as opposed to the small caps. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what you're doing, Colby, I think. Is you have all these playbooks and you do all this analysis, which I think is great. I also do a lot of analysis and reflection. But I think what you're trading is just much more difficult because you do these indexes that everyone in the world, you know, at, at large and small, specifically the large people are are trading, and, and uh, I think that's tough. And we're competing yeah. against like people with a newsletter, <laughs> like pumping a stock, yeah. and like their trends are just totally different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, futures were invented to be like trade, like high frequency trading basically. So.
2: Yeah. You're competing against the best of the best.
1: Yeah. Literally. It's all algorithmic. Just. Yeah. Which is interesting though, because like for the last week I've been, last week I was red literally every day and it was, it was just like the craziest, just feel so unlucky. Right. I always fucking say that shit, but There's gotta be a point where it's not unlucky, and I'm actually just a bad trader, and I have to accept that that you know I don't have any edge. And like, what do you do if you don't have edge? Like, go back and learn more, because like it's pretty obvious that I can't make money the way that I trade right now. So I was looking into other YouTubers and just like trying to learn more stuff and try to get back into that phase where I was in the beginning, where all I wanted to do was watch fucking 10 hours a day of just YouTube videos of people just describing processes of how things work. And it's hard to find that though, whenever you're deep because you need to find someone who's even deeper than that. Like you, I have to find someone who's really complicated and is going to say like a lot of interesting things. That's not just like, Oh, and the nine and the 21 cross you go short, you know, obviously that shit's not going to help me anymore. But I was listening to this guy, which everyone that's following this podcast probably knows this. If you're a large cap trader or you ever cared at all about large caps, but I don't know if you guys have heard of ICT. Have you heard of that? No. It's like um, it's a dude. His his, his name I don't know. His name is Michael Hudson or something. But he's his does this YouTube channel where he's called like the Inner Circle Trader, ICT. And his whole philosophy is that. Ever since the 90s, the entire market has run off of algorithms and that is it. Like every order that's put into the futures um, in the indices and Forex market is all algorithmic. There's no actual human really trading at all. It's just algorithms kind of searching for liquidity in different areas. So I've been looking at his stuff and a lot of what he's saying is really cool. Firstly, because I've been thinking about market makers ever since I started trading and I was like, how are these people fucking us over? If I learned how to trade like them, then how would you lose? And um, his whole philosophy is that the market will draw to the area of highest liquidity always because that is where the most amount of... Oh, we already know this, but that's where the most amount of stops will be. And whenever the stops are hit, then you can actually fill... Um, all the orders that are left behind. like, Or if you see like a very violent price swing, let's say the SPY opens up and it drops three points in the morning, a lot of people will look for continuation of that. But this guy would say, well, since that was such a fast price swing in the first five minutes, the SPY lost to whatever. If it was the SPY, two or three points. If it was futures, 20 points. If that happens in the first five minutes, that creates a zone of liquidity that those orders never actually got filled in terms of algorithms, so his philosophy is like, if you see a sharp price movement, the market is likely to retrace that movement similar as how it would t- retrace a gap up or a gap down in the day. Right. Cause usually if you gap up on the day, you fill that gap and then you go, right. That's the gap and go strategy. And he's saying that that happens on every time frame, um, Even on quicker time frames too, like the two minute drop 10 points, probably going to retrace that and then maybe flush. So I've been looking at that kind of stuff re- like the last week and, uh, it seems it seems to be helping a little bit. I have no idea, but it's an interesting philosophy to say the least.
0: Yeah, I feel like might or go, go on, ahead. I don't go ahead. Wanna, no, go no, no, go ahead.
2: I feel like what you're probably at the level though of like where you just need to think what are like the few things that work for you and just cut out everything else. I feel like yeah. might be where you're more at as opposed to getting more things in. Yeah. I guess my thing
1: though is like maybe those little things I can learn will give me that piece where it's like avoid all these trades and this is the reason why, right? Like so normally let's say the SPY is going up on the day and I have my internals, right? The volume delta, the advanced decline line and the tick. If they're all trending down, at least from what I've seen in my studies, when they're, when the internals of the market are trending lower and the SPY itself is trending higher, that's when you have a high probability of a reversal. But the problem is I'm just shorting highs, right? And I'll short those highs like 10 times and I'll lose all my trades and I'll quit. And then the reversal happens. So how do I wait for that to happen? Well, I should go into the book map, right? Look for the highest area of liquidity, Where's that going to be? It's usually going to be above pre-market high, above a four-hour high, uh, the last 15-minute high, whatever, because that's where stops are going to be, right? If you got short way up here and you've been holding for this whole move down, how do you hunt those shorts? You go back above that level where they're at and they stop out. So I think if I look at the market more of like, okay, I'm not going to short shit. And actually, I'm going to go long looking for the market to draw to that liquidity at high of day and then once it hits that liquidity high of day, that's whenever I can look for reversal patterns, which are, which have to still be a pattern. Like it can't just be like, oh, we hit the liquidity high of day. I'm going to short now. Right. So at least yesterday I was all over the place. Cause I was just trying out everything he does. Like he does all these weird little strategies and I just wanted to try everything just to see what happened. But then, um, at the end of the day, I was looking back on it and I was like, wow, I mean, there were like two or three good trades in there that were perfect, and if I was just paying more attention to the liquidity at high of day, that's exactly where the market went to. It just slowly grinded up to the whatever it was. I think it was 45.90. And it just slowly grinded up, hit all that liquidity on the book map, filled probably half of it, and then it shot right back down. And that's when I missed my short opportunity. So. Mm and and i know the things that i'm bad at are reversals right like it's not that i'm bad at reversals i just take them way too much they happen like twice a week ever and i'll do it like 15 times a week so if i can learn something new that will help me avoid those trades then that might be what could help i have no idea
2: uh, there's a lot of really good traders i mean if you from like tim sykes to ross cameron and everyone in between i feel like and i don't feel i don't see a lot of people doing reversal trades Just because it's such a hard thing to do, like you take so many paper cuts yeah. and I just don't know if it's worth it. You're fighting the trend as opposed to like, I mean, even me, like I had, I basically over like the years, I think I like year number two of this strategy that I trade now. And I was trading for many years before I kind of boiled it down to three things, you know, we're either front side ranging or backside. And I realized like ranging a backside, I'm basically ranging, I'm like net a little bit positive backside. I'm net red front side is where I make all my money. And, you know, sometimes you have those really nice backside winners, but it, they never, they never make up for all the losses that you always have to take, take. So I just kind of stopped doing that all together. And it, it's been very nice because I don't have to stress so much. I'm not looking all over the place for different setups. Um, yeah. It just, you know, it's really simple. What I'm looking for is you know, it's a five minute, you know, breaking out and are the, the one minutes, a healthy pullbacks. Like it's like very simple stuff. Yeah. I don't want to, or I don't need to explain it all now. I've explained it probably a thousand times uh, specifically on my channel, but you know, really simple stuff is, is what I try to boil it down to.
1: I think that like in, if you're trading small caps, I feel like that is not, that hard to do that because small caps are come and go. You get like a couple chances. Maybe let's say you maybe get on a really good ticker, on an average ticker throughout the week, not like a a crazy CVNA or some shit like that. You'll probably get maybe five super clean A plus opportunities, maybe on one ticker per week, right? On a front side. When it's backside, you know, immediately you get a massive volume flush at the high, right? It's dead. Everyone's like Tom said, it's a race to get out and you can tell in the price action. But the the thing that sucks about indices is they don't do that shit. In the morning, yeah, maybe there's a massive front side and we rip up 1%, but there is no reason at all that we can't just find huge sellers at the high of day and then reverse to the back to the bottom. So it's like, if you're going to do trend continuation strategies on the indices, then you kind of have to be like a, like a swing trader almost, or like a four hour holder or something like that. Because if you're doing intraday trading, there are so many swings throughout the day that it's like, that's why I like to boil it down to you're either trading reversal or continuation strategy almost always. But even then you're still, those are like, those conflict each other. Cause like, let's say today we're red on the day and I'm going to do a continuation short, right? Cause we're below the open price, below the pre-market low, below everything. We're just trending lower, lower highs, lower low. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to short that for a, revert, for a, t- for a continuation technically, but then you go to the 15 minute chart and it's a tiny, 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 tiny little pullback. And it's like on a, on an uptrend. So I'm doing a continuation on the intraday, but I'm doing a reversal on the 15 minute. And then you look at the four hour and it's also trending up. So I'm doing a reversal on the four hour as well. Then you look at the daily. Well, we never broke the all time highs. Would you consider that still a backside? Uh, I guess maybe. Um, Then I'm doing a continuation on the daily. So it's like continuation daily, continuation five minute, reversal 15 minute, reversal four hours. So it's like, that's what makes it so hard because every day it's just such a freaking like, Bouncing ball, man. It's It's like if I cut out reversal trading, I might cut out like half of all the opportunities throughout the whole week. It
2: might be worth it. I mean, I sometimes still take stabs at reversals just because sometimes it's so tempting, and I'll still lose. (laughs) So I don't, I don't know. For me, it was better to cut it out. I'll still occasionally do it for sure, but yeah, more times than not. I just okay. You know the ticker is trending below VWAP. I just don't look at it anymore. I'll oftentimes put an alert up, and if it breaks it breaks back above VWAP, I'll I'll start looking at the ticker again. It's yeah. like it's that uh, that black and white for me, and it's yeah. reduced a lot of stress because I instead of looking for like six different setups, I'm really looking for one setup. And uh, if I trade anything else, I'm usually bored. And then I'm like, oh, what am I doing?
1: Do you do that as well? Whenever you're like swinging large caps or going long on like coin intraday or something?
2: Yeah. So large caps, they, you know, they're tough. Like I, my swing portfolio was up like 30 K and then I gave back a lot of it, like the majority of it, like 80% or so. And, uh, because I was still doing a lot of long bias trades during 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was a pretty small portfolio. I basically grew it with like $2,000 and I grew it, um, all the way up, but, Then I was like, oh man, well, obviously I was trading like a kind of what you're talking about, like a daily backside, even though I was going long because, you know, the four hour was, you know, front side and, and right now I'm kind of just accumulating, uh, tech stocks or I was like a month ago, I was accumulating a lot of tech stocks that were just appreciated and they started rallying and I sold them everything like a week and a half ago, which was too soon. Who would have thought, but, um, So that was a little different. That was kind of just accumulating value. Um, But oftentimes I will be doing like support line bounces. So like range trading or I'll identify it's a daily front side and I'm trying to buy, you know, four hour support. And you know ride that trend. So those are kind of the two styles I trade large caps, uh, or actually three styles: kind of range trading, support and resistance zones, accumulating value, which is really like it's something you can do right not right now, but it was something you could do like a month ago. Um, and I, if we get a big pullback, we'll see that again. It's just it's it's not something you can always do. It's really something like you you scan the markets every day for like ten minutes. Uh, you have your watch list of maybe some large caps, and you realize oh these are. These are good, but they come out of nowhere. It could take three weeks, could take three months. It's like, you can't force that strategy. And then the last one is you know, trading front side. So those are my three things. And I find uh, with, with large caps, it's pretty tricky. It's something I don't want to rely on. And uh, it's fairly, I can't force the setups is what I've learned every time where I sell my positions and I'm like, I got a bunch of capital that I'm not using. Let me find a trade. That's when yeah. I end up giving back a lot of money. So with large caps, I really have to be like hands-off strategy. If there's something that comes to me and it usually, you know, when it's a good setup and you're like, cause you're not looking for it, you're just kind of scanning. And you're like, oh my God, like, look at this one. That's usually, those are usually my biggest winners and something that's oftentimes takes a few days to size into or something like that as well. Um, I, I guess just, just to wrap that point up, I find large caps and, and indexes to be much more tricky than small caps, primarily because you're not dealing with all these time frames. With small caps, you're dealing with a, a top gainer, right? It's up yep. 100% on the day. It was basically flat or trending down beforehand. You Ideally, you're above like 180 or 200 uh, simple moving average on the daily. So it's more of like a blue sky setup. There's not a lot of resistance above. If it's like a 40, 50, 60% gapper, but like there's former spikes that were before it. And there's still kind of a bit of a downtrend. Those usually don't perform so good. But if you're just like a classic, you know, whatever, hundred percent gapper, you know, first green day, like you don't have to worry about all these timeframes. You're just like five minutes. Good. One minute's good. Let's go. Let's pump into it. And you do it sometimes for 30, 45, 60 minutes. Right now you do it like Tom said in the beginning for like five minutes at best, and then it's over. So right now it's really tricky. It's kind of like classic summer trading uh, where, you know, something pops up and then it fades. Yep. But
0: yeah. Yeah. Quick quick question for Colby. I'm not sure if you've elaborated on this before in a previous um, podcast, but uh, is there is there somebody who's kind of trading your style or your, your setups that you want to be doing?
1: Honestly, no, no not really. That's no. going to make
0: it so much harder. Yeah. You're like kind of an art uncharted territory if you if you don't have somebody that's kind of trading similar.
1: Like I try to pull things from people and then try to make it into my own, but then it's like I don't know. It just feels like at this point I'm just churning and churning and churning and churning forever. I don't know if it'll ever end. So it's like this last week I'm trying to like come to terms with being like, I need to be okay with the fact or the idea at least that I might never make money from trading. And if I do make money from trading, it's probably going to be a long time from now. So if I do, I need to be okay with like either finding, working on other businesses or being okay with, you know, like taking a step back and still trading every day and studying, but not being so attached to the idea that like, this is the way out. This is the way out. This is how I'm going to make money. This is whatever. Because when I think like that, then I am so hard on myself. And then I have streaks of red. And then I'm like, you know, it's just not good. So I I can't find anybody who does just a basic ass strategy that fucking works all the time. On obviously that's like the Holy Grail, but there's everyone I follow does some, some kind of weird different thing because there's so much bullshit in large caps, because you can be a supply and demand trader. You can be an ICT trader. You can be a momentum trader. You could be a range trader. You could be a reversal trader, continuation trader. You could do like moving averages. You can use a Mac. Like you could use fucking anything and it'll all look okay until you start trying to trade it. And it's like, I like this ICT guy because he, I was always, I'm always kind of like a conspiracy theorist. Like Alex used to always make fun of me for that about like order flow and stuff like that. Because like if you just think about it, if there's just trillions of dollars going in out of the market every day, that's not fucking going hand to hand. Like I'm not sending my shares to Tom, right? Like my shares are going to a clearinghouse and they're going somewhere that I don't understand and I will never understand <laughs> until the erosion, the edge is eroded fully away, and the market makers can finally tell everyone and then they have a new version of edge. Like I I firmly do believe that the second someone comes out and they're like, Hey, this is my strategy, this is how much I made on this for like the last X amount of years, their strategies probably eroded to the point where it's not even that useful to anyone anymore. And I feel like SMB itself does similar shit where they'll give out videos that are on like the volume delta, the advanced decline line and all this bullshit. And then you'll look at it for like a month and you're like, oh, this is like, okay. And then a month later, it's literally signaling the opposite of what they're trying to tell you. And it's like, is the market that that efficient where an edge can just be eroded like in a blink of an eye, the second it's discovered by market makers. And like, I would honest, I'd like to think no, but if you're a market maker and you're able to literally front run the fucking market, like think of that. You can look at every order that is coming into this particular indice like Citadel can why would you not front run the market? Like, how could you, I mean, obviously that's what they're going to do. This is a fucking capitalist economy. We're going to make money whatever way we can. If that means fucking over people, that is literally what will happen for sure. No doubt that's what happens. So it's like, I like the idea of using market makers and trying to understand how they actually manipulate the price to try to draw to levels of liquidity so that they can grab all those orders and then go in the direction that they were supposed to go in in the first place. So I think, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm even saying anymore. I, yeah, I think that if I try to do, I don't know, I'm just going to try to keep learning shit. And hopefully there's going to be a point in time where it's just all clicks and I can go fuck myself and not have to ever do anything ever again. But as of right now, that is like a far distant idea in my head. And I'm not even going to try to entertain it because when I do, I just get sad that I can't do it yet. So
2: yeah. It's a frustrating place to be. I think yeah. with these, uh with all these videos that you're watching, I think, you know, none of them are necessarily wrong, but certain things only work at certain times, you know, like right now you can really buy the front side and a lot of large caps and just let it ride for like basically a year and a half. That just did not, that was not the case. If you did that, you would have ended up like my swing portfolio where I kept, just kept on getting uh, stomped, uh, stopped out of. So, you know, certain things work at certain times. And, and even with day trading, you know, you'll notice, Oh, this week or like the last two days, we, you know, you could really buy into halts and they just hold three, four, five times in a row. It's working really good. But if you made a video about that, by the time somebody watches that video, it's probably not the case anymore. <laughs> if you buy into a halt, you might just get flushed on the first thing. like right now buying into halts, you know, the last few days have been a little bit hairy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you kind of, you kind of have to constantly adapt really quickly. And I noticed that sometimes trend lasts for like two days, sometimes for two weeks, but they're never really around that that long. And if there's some good momentum or something works, you really just try to squeeze it as much as you can. And once it's gone, you got to, you really have to back off and, and switch gears really quickly.
1: No, yeah, I totally agree with that. I just wonder like, Like, do market makers manipulate the market to make it that way? Or is it like, I mean, obviously it's not that simple, right? It's not just straight up manipulation. There's still human sentiment, how much money people have, how much money does a consumer have, how much money do banks have, how much money, you know, all this kind of stuff. But is there a reality where, you know, some kind of clearinghouse market maker, whoever's filling your orders can basically identify market cycles because they're creating the market cycles and they can just, so like, let's say there were only like three market cycles. This is just such a dumb random concept. Let's say there are like three market cycles, right? Front side, backside continuation or front side, backside range. Um, and that's all happening on like daily charts or whatever. And then you're, tr- you're trading based off of like that larger time frame. What if there's new scenarios where it's like front side, backside range, or there's like fake front sides, there's fake backsides, there's fake ranges, there's random gap up overnight that creates a front side while we're in range scenarios. And it's like, what if there's a way that these market makers exactly. can kind of change the uh, the flow of the market like literally almost every five days, every week? Um, And how the fuck are you supposed to be able to identify that? Especially on an index. Like I can totally see... Small caps, like you wake up every day, if there's no small cap above 40%, like it's pretty fucking obvious that it's not going to be good. You could wake up on a Monday though and the NASDAQ and everything will be literally completely flat and it might have a 5% week and you have no clue. The first day might be a 1% day. Second day might be a 2% loser. Third day might be another 1%, another 1%, another 1%. You just, you just don't know. So
0: I don't even know what I'm trying to get out there. I just... Do you, do you think you're... you're... Edge that you're trying to create, do you think do you do you think that's like at what point do you do you try to like pivot if it's not working out? Yeah, I don't know. There's I, no I mean you said that there's no examples that what how you're tra- how you want to trade with people successfully doing it. It's tough though, because like I trade so much shit too. Like I'll
1: trade, I'll trade continuations, I'll trade reversals, I'll go long and short multiple times throughout every day. So like I'll short one thing, go long a different thing. You know, it's like, I don't really, I don't have like one specific thing that I really love to do. And that works every single time I do it because it seems like everything I do, just kind of works a little bit and then loses a lot more. And then it works a little bit and then it loses more or like continuation trading. It's like, you'd think, oh, just fucking go long every day. Right fuck no. It's extremely hard. Like this shit will pull back to the low of day and swipe out everybody and then go up. And it's like, you know, you can't just go long. Can't just go long. Like, let's say, oh, I'm going to only go long whenever the daily is above a 50 moving average. And I'm only going to go long while that's the scenario. Well, you're going to miss out on like So many massive red days, so many short days. How do you stay long biased for three months straight and then just switch the second it's ready to go short again? I don't know. And there's so many strategies you could do. I mean, like, obviously, what's the easiest strategy in the world? Just trend continuation. You see a high, you pull back, you use that pullback to see if it's correlating to an old higher high, and it's going to use prior Um, resistance as support and you go long there and you look for a breakout, you sell on the breakout. That's the easiest strategy in the world. We're above all VWAP, above all the moving averages, above everything. That's the easiest one, but that shit doesn't happen ever. I mean, it happens maybe once or twice a month. And if you trade every other day of that month, it is fucking impossible to be there that one day where it just grinds up all day and to hold that trade because you just traded 19 other days out of that month. And on the 20th day, it finally trends up all day. Well, what? how are you supposed to just flip your brain and to be like, well, for the last 19 days, we trended for about five minutes and we just flushed. And then we went back up and then we flushed and then we went back up and we're just ranging and doing bullshit. How are you supposed to flip your mindset from it's been ranging for 19 days, now's the day I'm gonna go massive size, hold this long all day to the end of the day, maybe swing it even if we, if we close on high of day and, you know, I don't know.
0: This <laughs> this is this, is, is this is my whole thing. Edge? There's too much
1: shit. There's too much. Is, shit is there on. an edge
0: that you can use to? There's to, people that make money. I know I, that. <laughs> it's yeah. not
1: fucking me though. So, I mean, I see people making money. I see Patrick Weiland making money every single day. He's kind of a dipshit, so he could be easily lying too. I have no idea, but I see the ICT guy. He's always making money. Um, you know, who do I? There's so many people I follow on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter is such a toxic. Fucking P and L porn, but but bullshit. they
0: trade spy, right? They don't trade large like large cap stocks.
1: They just trade index. No. Yeah, it's it's all index trading. I mean,
2: I got, uh, that index trading stuff uh, hurts my brain. Like uh, when I saw Ricky do that, and he was you know he was like uh, doing it for years, and he was happy about like uh, these couple hundred dollar days. I'm like, mm. it just it's it's such a grind. I feel like trading indexes. Uh, even um scruffy trader that we talked to been trading a very long time and he mm-hmm. has pretty low daily goals as well.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: I think it's just tough. like you make a few hundred and you're just like, let me get out of here.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, I would love to I, mean, I maybe have to look for a few bigger traders to interview that do indexes. I think that'd be great for your channel too, Colby because mm-hmm. uh, you study this so much. I think it'd be really interesting content for you to talk to some of these YouTube channel guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, like you were saying, like on Twitter, uh, and, and YouTube, you don't really know how honest people are being, I, this is, this is like my least favorite part about the trading industry is just like, there's so much fluff out there. Like I love trading as a, as an art form It's just, I hate the, I hate the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. My trust is so low from what I see online, but I'll tell yeah. you what, like the, you there is, I feel like more money to be made on tickers that are just like very volatile. And something I think about a lot is even Tim Sykes, who I really did not learn much from him. He was, I found it very difficult to learn from him, but there is one thing he said all the time that he was like, I pretend, or like I act like I'm a retired trader. And I think that's such a good line. And it took me a while to like, it really hit me where it's like, man, like usually like one or two trades a day is really where I make all my money. And yep. just you know, being patient, waiting for those setups that you really know are good. I'll still do maybe a couple, you know, dozen trades, but a lot of the trades are just to dip my feet. And I'm not sizing until I really see, and I feel like I'm in a flow, and I see that good setup. And then I'm really sizing. So, yeah, for for small caps, you can really just wait. And sometimes there's like a three three month lull, and you're just like, hey, it's fine. Like I've been you know wrapping up a lot pre market and kind of kicking it. But if it's really hot, like I'm not going to go on that trip or whatever, and I'm not going to really focus on trading. That's, I think that's what a lot of people do. And right now it's kind of summertime. People are, you know, off they're with their family. So there's no need to like, you know, gun it right now. And, uh, I think the market really works in cycles like that. And it's so easy to geek yourself out. Like if I really wanted to have like a, you know, new all-time high day today, it would be very difficult unless I like sized and just hope for the best did a hell Mary and uh, most likely I would end up big red. So that's trading in a nutshell. Really got to be patient.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think that that is something I neglect a lot because indices, they move every day. The ATR is pretty fucking similar. Like every day we're moving on the spy on the ES futures about 30 points, like from low of day to high of day, that would be, A decent day. And that's like, you know, I think usually, like, maybe I should think of it more of because I'm such a, like, I like holding really long. Like, all my friends that I trade with, they're all scalping literally two point trades, like two points. And that's 20 cents in the SPY. To me, that's like not worth it. It's more of like you're kind of just getting lucky randomly. You're going to lose it all on a Friday because you lost 10 points or whatever. So I try to go for like at least 10 points. And then a lot of the time I try to go for more like 20. And when I get a 20 point trade, obviously it's really cool and I feel great. And I don't really see anyone ever on Twitter or doing that. they're like, I don't really see many people trying to get 20 points because it's just fucking hard because the spy just pulls back so strong. And it's really hard to just hold for like an hour or two hours, three hours long. And um, like two weeks ago, I was looking at all my stats. I was like, dude, if I fucking sold every trade at three points, I literally would never lose. Like I would never lose every trade I ever take. It's either I'm immediately red and I have to cut it or I'm up at least three to five points and it comes back and it takes my stop out and I end up losing like two to five points. So I think it Hmm. would help me a lot to just be like, you know what? Like a good day, fucking three points. (laughs) That's a decent little small day. Just take your three points. Fuck off, right? A decent day, five points. A good day, 10. A great day, 15 to 20. That's like a once a month type thing. Every other day, you should not be doing that kind of shit. And it's kind of like, that's the fallacy of of indexes is yes, they move a lot every day, but that does not mean that it's Capturable, right? Like that is not a capturable trade. Just because it moved up thirty points today, it may have fucking moved up twenty and took out the low of day and then went up to to be up thirty points in the day. So whereas small caps, it's just again like it's so obvious. You're not going to wake up every day and see like BBIG moving every day two points. It doesn't do that. It has one day out of a two month window where it moves five points, and then every other day it moves literally one penny and. can see and feel the volatility so
0: yeah maybe i need to just
1: spend more time observing more time looking for stuff and less time actually trying to trade it you know
2: yeah when in q1 when i was trying to hold all my tickers longer that was my worst performing quarter even though typically q1 is my best performing quarter wow and it's just, it's exactly like what you said, you know, you're, you're up, whatever it is, let's say 3%, 5%. And then all of a sudden you're down three, four, 5%. Yeah. And it's like, wow, I should have just took profits. And, you know, a lot of the best traders, like, let's say Ross Cameron, he'll say it's just all basics. And, you know, if like trying to make a 10% trade is pretty tough, but trying to make a 3% trade and you do that three times, it's actually not that difficult, especially mm-hmm. with small caps that are like this, <laughs> you yeah. know? So that's, also my approach to it as well. Like I'm more scalpy. I trade the front side. I try to trade that move and get it as long as possible. Some days you can really feel it and there's just energy behind it. And you can make, you know, 20, 30% based on your average position size. And then some days, you know, you're like at 5% and you're like, man, I'm lucky I'm at 5% today because there's nothing, there's a lot of traps out there and I need to ease off the gas. So Knowing knowing the environment you're in, and then taking those small base hits, I think is a really good idea. I, I think even even Tim Sykes also said like he's looking for just a chunk of the move. If it's a ten percent move, he's also looking for that two, three, maybe four percent. That's already a lot um, mm-hmm. of that that move. So it's something you hear a lot, especially with small cap traders. I don't study so many large cap traders, so I'm not yeah. aware what they say, but. Yeah.
1: yeah, maybe maybe looking at the atr on the day and being like if i captured anything more than than three percent of the total daily move that's a fucking that's a decent little day right so like if we move 20 points um i guess that would still be that wouldn't even be anything really
2: i have, have to capture like 10 percent of the day right? if you're yeah. trying to get these smaller moves you do have to use bigger size yeah which is which is normal um because yeah. there's nothing worse than like I remember when I was just getting started, I'd I'd make like 30 bucks on a pretty good trade, like 3% because I was using, you know, tiny size. And then (laughs) I wanted to make more money. So I was trying to hold longer. And this is like, I think in like 2019, I was getting so frustrated. I was like, oh man, you know, I was up 70 bucks and I didn't sell it. I was up 70 bucks. I was literally like, that was like a 7% trade. And I didn't sell it because I wanted to make a hundred dollars. It was so stupid. And I was going through that phase forever where I just held these tickers so long instead of take my profits and then, you know, re-enter if it pulls back or something like that. So all you, if I wanted to make, you know, a hundred dollars, I would have taken the same trade sold at 3%, but you know, two, three times the size. It's that simple. So sizing is really important. It's really the secret weapon to trading. And I don't think it's talked about enough. A lot of times you always think about, you know, what's the setup? What's this, what's that? Honestly, like, sizing is, is a lot. There's mm. is a lot when it comes to risk management and, uh, and everything else, it's, you know, you know, it very well, you've talked about it a lot. It's all, it's about the expected value. You, you've you broken it down phenomenal on the, on the pod. So made a great article about it too. So you get it. If you don't size on your winners, you're, uh, you're hurting You're You're literally going to become unprofitable if you don't play your, yeah, it's
1: literally games. impossible.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah if you're a poker player and you're not, you know, raising on the, uh, the ante, when you have two pocket aces, you're, you're not going to be a profitable poker player. Mm -hmm. And that translates to trading. Um, I think one-to-one for sure. Yeah,
1: literally. Yeah. Tom, why don't you tell us how you do that? Cause you're very, you're probably one of the best, best, uh, risk averse traders that I've ever seen in terms of like you, I'll look at your Mm -hmm. stats and it's literally like, Minus a dollar, minus two dollars, plus four, minus two, minus one, minus one penny, plus five dollars, plus 200. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? How did he, how was he trading with a hundred shares and then he traded with a thousand and then it's not, he just made 200 bucks on that trade. He had 10 scalps that were for one penny, you know?
0: Yeah. Usually, um, my bigger winners are going to be the ones that I, I always average up into them. My always, my starter size, like like right now, recently, um, it's a low embarrassingly low. It's about like a hundred to 250 shares, uh, on a a stock. Um, and then if it reacts in the way that I want it to, then I'm looking to add that one K shares and then maybe add another one K shares. Um, and that usually works out well, that strategy, uh, because, I'm averaging into winners and usually I'll go much higher than my adding um, price. And so I'll come out with like that nice 100 or $200 winner, um, even though I started off with just 100 chairs. Um, but sometimes that can get you into some trouble because you'll average up and then it'll come straight down because some markets recently, the entry, the entry for the bulls needed to be the exit. For the bulls it kind of flips it's it's like you know the one minute candle to make a new high that's your sell that's where you should be selling not buying yeah previously a couple months ago and then also in 2021 and 2020 you know that's that's a that's an entry right there first one minute candle make a new high or you know fresh anticipating a fresh breakout or one minute pullback um you know that should be the entry but now you know that is the exit and now you got to think about well, oh, now how do I get in before that? Now how do I, you know, anticipate an entry, you know, before that. And then you gotta completely reframe your mind to where it's like you gotta be buying on red candles, like coming down
2: mm-hmm.
0: and anticipating a bounce and then maybe selling on that
2: mm-hmm.
0: one minute candle to make a new high instead of the entry. But um how yeah, long are you most in
1: drawdown the- when you take a loser?
0: My drawdowns are most are pretty small usually. Like I'll I'll allow like one bigger red day. Um and then I'll I'll start to reel it in a little bit.
1: I meant like on an actual just single trade, but
0: yeah, sometimes it's good because you know I'm managing my downside, but like I'm pulling back my confidence so much that it takes me like another two weeks just to get back to where it was with my confidence level. And then like it'll happen again, and then I'll reel it in. And then it'll take me another two weeks to get back, you know, mentally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can have a drawback too, because, you know, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, so that's the kind of thing that I'm, I kind of have been uh, dealing with, you know, it's pros and cons, you know, I'm never really too far off of my high. I don't think I've been in a drawdown long farther than a thousand off my eye. Um, and a thousand, you know, that's like two to three green days, two to three solid green days recently. Mm -hmm. So I mean that's not too bad. Um I mean what about on an actual just single like
1: like, what about your entries? So like let's say let's say you're green like 300 bucks in the day. How many of those trades are you winning and how many are you losing? And then how much in in those losers are you actually holding that for? Like are you selling the
0: second you're red on a oh yeah. I'm I'm pretty much only I'm risking break even. Yeah. I'm, I'm risking break even maybe two or three cent loss every single trade. Yeah. But not always, not always am I getting out because, you know, sometimes there's just a flush and you just can't get out fast enough. Mm -hmm. And then you take that 10% loss and then you're pretty much screwed on the day. It's like, you know, stick a fork in it, try to maybe try to trade a little bit on small size to, to minimize, you know, the, the, the downside, you know, maybe try to make some back if you can mentally. You can keep trading, but, yeah. um, yeah, most of my trades are risking break even, you know, I want it to be you know immediately doing what I want it to do because I'm trying to, I'm pretty much trying to time it. My strategy is pretty much timing. Um, you know, I need to be getting in right at that point at which it either breaks out or, you know, we bounce off the low or we break, you know, a pivot point, uh, in like an inflection point from, you know, bearish to, to bullish and like a VWAP breakout or like a five-minute uh, previous five-minute candle uh, breaking a new high, um, but yeah, most of my my strategy is mostly tr- timing, so that's why I risk break even. Um, but
1: yeah, and then so you're literally sizing up almost twenty x your starter because you oh, said yeah. like let's say you're in a hundred shares, you said you might add two thousand more shares.
0: Yeah. I could add yeah, about 2000 more shares That's fucking if it's, awesome. <laughs> if it's doing what I want it to do. Yeah. That's so cool. And Especially if I have the momentum on my back, um, you know, if pre the previous two or three days or previous week have been hot. And I know there's going to be people buying where I'm buying. There's going to be volume because I'm trying to time that point at which everyone starts flooding in. Um, then I know it's going to resolve in a, in a, good move. I know it's mm-hmm. at least going to be a pop at some point, um, you know, within the next minute. Um, and that's when I can, you know, size into like two or 3000 shares, or, and then get that nice 10 cents. That's two or 300 bucks right there. Are and you usually trying one to make
1: a, like 10% a day on average position size, or is that just something you're not even like thinking
0: of that really? I, I don't think of that because I take a lot of, like you said, I take a lot of shares or a lot of trades are just a hundred shares. And so it's not really accurate, my average position size. So I don't really look at it like that. Um, because I I take so many, like, like small little test trades just to feel the stock feel, you know, is it going to hold up here? Is there buyers here? Is it moving in my direction? How are the fills? I'm trying with like a hundred shares, And if I, if I feel it, I get that nice pop for a hundred shares, and it's, about the breakout, volume is coming in, then I'm adding a thousand, adding a thousand, and then taking my profits. Yeah. That's usually That's awesome. how it is.
1: Do you usually have just one big win on the day and then you're kind of done?
0: Uh, it's usually one to two big winners. Um, and then the rest, it's either, you know, plus $10, minus $10, plus $20, minus $5. Yeah. Maybe I'll make a little bit just like scalping on on that sort of size uh, if it's not really an A setup. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's usually one, one to two, you know, nice trades. Um, but yeah, the timing, timing is pretty much my entire strategy and, you know, just with how fast small caps can move, uh, if you have the wind on your back with the momentum, then there's, there's a lot of upside potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I said, if it's, if it's weak, uh, the rest rewards negative. And if you're averaging up, you're gonna get slammed on. You, the entry is now the exit, and you you need to be getting the heck out of there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that could change That's just cool. as quick too, right? Like in uh, next yeah. week it could be the opposite. So yeah. But yeah, right now it's definitely the, the case. It's quick short, short-lived moves.
1: Tom, um, I feel like you're a cool example of trader because you're almost your edge is almost your execution. You know, what do you mean? Like, yeah, you're reading the tape and doing that as well. But just from having like extreme risk management in terms of execution, where you're basically getting in, and if you're not green immediately, you're already out. And if you are green, you're stopping it, you're at break even. Like, that alone can create an edge in itself, just because you're giving it like, let's say there's two clean front sides on the one minute chart on a, on a small cap and you give it 20 tries, you only need one of those to hit. And if one hits, you're good. And if you lose on
0: all the other ones, you're down like 30 bucks. Yeah. 20, 30 bucks. That's usually how it is. That's usually how it is. And I'll, I'll know when I'm on a good stock because I'll get in and I'll like, it'll be a front side move. I'll get in at like, let's say like for a $2 pop, uh like one ninety nine, and the bids as soon as i even know that i'm in the stock the price is at 203 204 yeah. and now it's like oh i mean i got a good one here wait for the next pullback take your starter you know you see there's a nice bid on there you add in a thousand shares and there's your hundred two hundred dollars or that's more awesome. if you start sizing more um which is what I'm working on but you know that's that is a struggle man sizing up is a struggle um because at one at one side, like you want to maximize your potential with, you know, making as much as you can, but also, you know, if you if you take a big loss, um, that's gonna either put you back mentally, but also like financially. Like if you're out of the game, let's yeah. say if I blow out half of my account, I'm pretty much done. I'm under PDT. I gotta you know save up money. That's gonna take months to make back out of like an hourly job. Um, so, you know, I want to be in it long enough to be able to develop those skills, uh, to be able to, uh, succeed at that level. And so at the one hand, like you want to go for it, you want to go for it, but like, you know, on one hand, you're like, you don't know if you're ready. You know, you say that you're ready, but you know, you go for it, you, you get a couple winners, but then always like, it's like, if you get caught in that halt down on like EDTX, like you're screwed, you're pretty much screwed. You lose half your account and that's it. Stick a fork in it for the next six months. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: yeah, that's that's true. That short bear guy, he's always talking about how like if you trade anything that is like a small cap at all, even large caps, like there's just there's a very high chance that before you die and your career is over, you will have at least one black swan event happen to you. And he's like, And he's terrified of those because his position size is like $10 million. Right. Yeah. So he's trying to make like three and a half million, like a month, but his position size can be like 10. So get stuck in EDTX on that. It's like, boom. I mean, for him, that would only be like a couple months gone. Yeah. But yeah.
2: In a a way, EDTX for me was like a a really good, again, like lesson learned. I hate learning these super expensive lessons. (laughs) but uh, this is a ticker I usually would never touch. And I'm, I don't even like, it was a bit of a boredom trade. So like reducing your market exposure is really important because market exposure is a real thing. The more time you are looking at the market, the more time, more chances you're going to do something stupid. And last Friday or the, the, the Friday before last Friday, when EDTX popped, there was nothing moving and I was just about to log off. And if I just logged off a little bit sooner because I already told myself, uh, ah, no, it doesn't look good. And then I was like scanning, I was like, ah, maybe I'll find something. It's already like Friday. Usually when though when I start having those kind of thoughts, like nothing good comes out of that. Like, let me just see if I can take one or two more trades. Like again, like I am trying to force a trade, I'm not letting it happen you know, I'm, I'm not waking up and there's a hundred percent gapper. And I'm like, let's trade that, you know, that next front side, next time it gets above VWAP, next time it does X, Y, Z, let's do it. It's I was really hunting for something. Yeah. Now I'm stuck in this. Uh I'm literally stuck in EDTX. So who knows what it's going to open at? Probably nothing good, but you know, this is something that you should just tip. like, if his stock just went from like, what was it? Like 10 bucks to 70 bucks. You should probably not trade that with your like million dollars. <laughs> you know, it's like something you definitely do not touch. Yeah. Luckily yeah. I didn't use big size. I just used like 7k, but like still that that could have really killed me. I'll probably lose most of that. Um but it's it's not the end of the world. So like the short bear you you have to really watch out. And I hope this is a little bit my black swan event. I mean, what are the chances that like I traded it Right before it got a T12 halt. Like, that's yeah. so rare, but it could happen. Dude, even
1: volatility halts, like, it's hard to get, it's hard to be in that shit. So, for you Dude. to get stuck in a T12, it's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, that's the
2: volatility to halts are almost different because some people actually want to get stuck in those, you know, like you're you're yeah. like, oh, nice, like it, it halts it up and I'm in it and it's going to get uh, open higher. At least that's what a lot of people are trying to do. I mean, ideally, you're not in it and you you trade it when it opens, but most like it's going to get halted again. So it's like it's kind of OK to get stuck in those. But like. This one where the SEC just freezes it for no reason and they want to investigate the company for the next 30 days, it's like, what the heck? Or like, if you're in a Chinese ticker, remember they were just getting like delisted and frozen. And a lot of times, like if, if if you just day traded that and all of a sudden it happened, like, oh man, you're gonna be hurting. So I just decided not to trade those because I felt like the upside wasn't there compared to the massive amount of downside. And that's also why I don't do a lot of short trading because it's just like in one trade, you could, you could blow up your whole account. You know, you can owe over the amount you invested, which is just to me, a terrifying thought. I I like the fact that like EDTX, I like the fact that the most I can lose is a hundred percent. It's a, it's a pretty calming feeling. Like (laughs) it's going to suck. Sure. But at least I don't, I can't like, you know, if I was short and a stock and this happened to a stock at like $2. I'd be so nervous. What, op- what happens if it opens at $10 and I, and my, my principal is $7,000. If it opens at 10, I owe $70,000. I'm going to get yeah. massively liquidated. You know, like that is, that is some stressful shit. That's HKD <laughs> <You know>?
0: man. <laughs>
1: dude, <laughs> that's H-K-D. what happened to Alex. Tim is uh, that guy from my investing club. He lost 400 K. Oh, well, no, dude. that was on tops actually, I think.
2: That's when you liquidate all your, your things, you buy some gold and you move into the woods.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that was a great career. I just wiped out 10
2: years of gains
1: in a minute, but you know, it was fun. I had a great time.
2: Yeah. I I don't know if that's worth it. I don't know if I can ever get into like major shorting just because of that. Sure. I'll short a large cap here and there. But like, man, shorting these smalls, it's, it's pretty ballsy. And I get why it works most of the time, because most of the time all these are shitty companies that all go back to like sub dollar level. Yep. But it's like every now and then you see that, you know, ticker go from like two to 60 bucks or something like PPI or whatever.
1: I think that's why a lot of those big short sellers, they just have so many short accounts where they're like, well, I can blow this one and it's not going to.
2: That's a great point. I've seen yeah. a few people that are like, uh, I used to just want to grow my account, but now it's like, I have several accounts and if one gets basically destroyed, um, that that's yeah. their risk management. That's their like, you know, with the match sticks and like making sure one match is out of the way. Like, that's their strategy for risk management. Like, just don't have more than like 30K in the account or 100K or whatever the yeah. number is, because it will blow up if you're a short trader at one point. To me, that's just mind blowing because like I want to be, you know, have mo- millions of dollars in my IRA, which is definitely possible. But if you're short trading, you could just, you Boom. could lose that all in, all in one trading session with, with a long trader. It's, it's not going to happen. Like, Yep. I think EDTX is literally like the worst case scenario as a long trader. Mm-hmm. But w- when are you ever putting really more than 20% in one trade? If you're doing that, that's, you know, if you have a small account, sure. You might even be putting hundred percent in one trade or not a hundred, but like 80 or whatever, you know, which is, which is fine. You have to do that to grow a small account. I did it myself. I would do like, you know, rotations with a, a um, three day, uh, two day settling period. So, you know, trade on Monday, you get the money again, and then I would use like full size. That's different. That's like a growth tra- way to grow your account. I get it. But like once your account is over like, you know, 50, $60,000, maybe over $100,000, you're, you're never going to go in with over, I would say 60, 70%. I think logically, <laughs> at least I wouldn't.
0: Yeah. Depends how much you're willing to make, I guess. I mean,
2: yeah, but I don't know if that I, you want to make You can, I mean, like when I think about it, like my IRA is, it's not that much. It's like 80K right now, but like I'll go into a trade with like 20, sometimes $30,000. And um, I think that's fine, especially if it's not like EDT. So I'm still trying to grow this one of size for my portfolio size. Um, But I don't know. If like once my account is at a million dollars, right? I'm probably not going to go in with $500,000 in one trade. That's, that would be to me a little bit wreck. It would, I I make a lot of bad decisions when I have too much position size in one trade, I realize like, uh, like even with coin, for example, there's one point I had like over $50,000 in coin and I could just not let the ticker ride. Like I would constantly be checking my swing trade because I'd be thinking about it so much. But when I have like ten thousand dollars in the swing trade, and it's still doing doing what I want, but it goes down a little bit, I'm like, ah, oh, let's add like another ten percent, and then like I'm like way more chill. I make so many better decisions. So yeah, position sizing is really something you have to you have to tweak and figure out what works for yourself. Um, yeah, I, like I gladly want to be trading with like a quarter million dollars in a day trade. I would I would be happy to do that if the conditions were right and my account size was. Uh, <laughs> was, yeah. I don't know more proper
0: yeah. yeah I mean I mean there are moments where that dude, you could do that the market the, even small caps like they'll have that liquidity yeah
2: I mean in markets. 2020
0: we had it um I mean neither of us were even close to, to putting out that sort of size to make like 100k in a day but you could have done over 100k 200k there's people doing very well in small caps in 2020 with that liquidity I do I do see myself getting to that that size level eventually you know i i don't put any limitations on where you know i could achieve you know it might take longer than other people but you know if the best road is probably the road where you don't blow up so however slow that takes i think you go that road because if you blow up it's going to do a lot of damage
2: (laughs) yeah we don't need that kind of stress in our lives um yeah, we just don't. I mean, even EDTX, it didn't really stress me out too much. It was a bit of a bummer, but it was just like, eh, like I, I can make that back. Usually I don't like losing in a day more than what I can make back in a day. So EDTX is going to be more like, you know, two, three, four weeks, depending on the season. Sometimes I can make 2K in a day. So if I lose the whole $7,000, you know, I could in theory, make it back in a week. So it's, it's not that much. Most likely it'll take a month because right now it's been a bit of a grind. And like, I feel like a $500 day for me right now is like a pretty good green day. Sometimes like today I made 746. Uh, I don't feel like it was a fantastic day, but I, for the opportunities we had today, I feel like it was a great day, honestly. So it's like, but if it was a better market, and I made seven I'd be like, ah, could have done a lot better. So yeah, the, the opportunities are just really, really light right now. And it's just, it's kind of tough to squeeze money out of the market. And that's what I was saying earlier. It's uh, the day trading is a, it's really cyclical. It's cyclical as hell. And, uh, you, you can't always be trying to squeeze money out of the markets. So you just kind of show up, do what you can do and, and, uh, you just kind of wait. And then, and once mm-hmm. you, once you've been in the game long enough, like, unfortunately, uh, us three, you know, in 2019, we were just all kind of getting into it. If we had our level of experience and, in, 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 you know, going into 2020, I think we could have absolutely killed it what we know now. And right now, all we have to do is kind of wait for that that environment again, which will happen at one point. And until that happens, we can still pull out, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 a month as we size more appropriately. But it's just, you know, those are grind numbers. I mean, those are great numbers and I'm not making them right now, but compared to like a 200 or $500,000 month, you just, it's just impossible to make right now. Like even Maros Cameron's not making that. And he made what, like a million in a month or something like before. Yeah, uh, I don't remember exactly. Yeah. It was just, it was absurd, but he just it like. It was during GameStop exactly like you you need to wait for that environment and we just don't have that environment right now so like if he's doing like a 50k month i think he's probably pretty happy with that even though he knows he could do better but there's no market to you know do better with yeah
1: yeah that makes me think a lot about how important it is to make sure you have other businesses and other things that are just you know like even stuff that's like you're passionate about like even like this little cabin for me like I love the idea of having like a hundred of these fucking things. And I have like a vacation rental company where I can make a million dollars a year doing that. And then I trade on the side and it's just all fun and games really. And I still put in the effort and energy that I would need to do to make a million dollars a year. But whenever that year comes that I can make a million dollars, I will definitely do it, but I'll also make another million for my fucking other businesses. So it's like, that's something that I'm really, really trying to, put more energy into because it's just so fucking hard to wake up in the morning and be expecting of anything with trading. Cause any day when I wake up and I'm like, I want to be green today. I want to make money. I want to do this. And I don't do it. It's a, it's a shitty day for me. Like I don't have a good time the rest of the day. Like it affects my mood and everything. But if I went into trading and I was like, Hey, I'm going to make a thousand dollars today, whether the market fucking explodes or it does nothing. And I don't give a shit. And, um, that could be like my risk on the day, like being break even throughout all my ventures or something like that, you know, but yeah.
2: you can't have expectations uh, with trading. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. I also like, uh, all my other projects, uh, with, with, if it's coding or, or diving into health uh, stuff, I watch so many like health and history. I love history documentaries. So like, to me, Mm -hmm. all those things are really fun or tennis. I try to get out for tennis all the time, at least once a week or surf trips right now we're thinking about maybe maybe getting a base in in paniche portugal because we just love it there so much so then we could just surf every morning so stuff like that you know you got to live your life uh and that makes trading a lot easier if you really live your life Mm -hmm. and other otherwise you're you're gonna get so pissed off because you're gonna be like i just dedicated three years of my life to this and I'm not making any progress anywhere else because I'm really trying hard on this. It's just going to make it worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I was also in the, in the boat a while ago where I was like, can't have a plan B like no plan B. If you have a plan B you're fucked because those kind of people just don't try as hard. And now that I feel like I needed a plan B, I'm like, Oh shit. Well, it's (laughs) a little late for that. But at the same time now I definitely feel way more okay um, spending energy on other things and being like, you know, like trading is fun, but if I can do something that I'm already good at, like building shit and I have a skill on it and I kind of have like an edge in a, in a way in the marketplace, because I like to build shit when I was a little kid, I liked to, I made tree houses, I made furniture, I built an apartment, I did all this fun stuff and I didn't have to, it was just a hobby. I have an edge right now compared to other random people in that industry. And the money I make right now from my little Airbnb thing is more money than I made ever from trading. And I think that alone is extremely telling that like, do what you're fucking good at and make trading. Like no one's ever just inherently good at trading. Like, yes, there are some people like, Maybe Danny or Tom, where like you're green in like the first like six months to a year and you just keep going. But like, at least for me, that is not the case at all. Like, I just lose money forever for the last three years straight, like pretty much every month for for three years straight. So there's got to be a point where I need to be like, you know what? I'm okay with exploring other ways of edge in different um, industries and different sectors in the world. Doesn't have to be finance. Like, this will always be here. I don't care you know, to make it all right now. But, and who knows the, probably the second I don't give a shit about trading anymore is whenever it becomes extremely easy or more simple. And I make more money from trading, but
2: yeah. And it's a really good skill to build on the side. Like, uh, I think you could lose, I know so many people, uh, I, or I know I hear so many stories and I, I, I hear them from all different people. If it's, you know, someone's grandpa that just lost all their savings because they bought some stock, or if it's, you know, me, myself, uh, you know, getting hacked with crypto or, or something like that. It's like, it's so good to practice this stuff early on because, you know, as you come out of your twenties and you go into your thirties and then your forties and fifties, like having a good, ch- Understanding of the the financial markets is going to pay so many dividends because yeah. even if you're not making right now, Colby, uh, a bunch of money from trading, you've learned so much on like what to do, what not to do, what what you can do on the side, and I think that's going to pay a lot of dividends as well. So it's it's really a really it's a marathon, it's a long game for sure. And unfortunately, day trading has this stigma where it's like get rich quick, and I hate when I hear that kind of crap because um, it's like it's the furthest thing about uh, from getting rich uh, quickly i think yep. uh, so
0: yeah that that could help you from uh, panic selling on the covid crash and then buying back yeah. in at the high <laughs> yeah
2: yep. exactly exactly which which a lot of people did you know a lot of people yeah. did that it's like oh my god the market's going to go to zero it's like no 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 this is exactly when you should be buying for sure so stuff like that i think it's gonna pay a lot of dividends i mean if you think about it right now like you're what well, on probably year like three almost Yep. so
0: both of us are on year three yeah
2: yeah so that's really like when i think a lot of stars start aligning you know it's i feel like it's year four or five where you start really making money that's like like meaningful yeah. uh it doesn't have to be a lot but it's like more meaningful instead of like you know 50 to hundred dollar days, you're making those two K days. And it's like, okay, I mean, still not like, you know, millionaire status, but it's like, it's kind of life-changing because you, you have like, you could, you could relax a little bit. Right. So there's not as much pressure, but I think it's really like year seven, eight, nine, where all of a sudden you make a million dollars in a year and you know then everyone on youtube is like how do you like who's this trader who came out of nowhere making all this money it's like yeah. it well, was it's, an overnight success yeah <laughs> then you're an overnight success so yeah so yeah it's it's the long game and uh yeah that's all it is yeah. you know wait, yeah, and you're going to be a, you're going to be 10 okay years with the under the belt game. and then it's like you know i only trade in January, February, March, because that's when it's hot. And like, then you're like, you're just so chill because you have maybe a few million in the bank and you're just like, it's not worth my energy to be trading the summer because it's so crappy. And maybe I'll walk out the whole summer with a hundred K. Who cares? It's a waste of time. I'd rather, you know, trade really intensely for two, three months and potentially make a million, but then live my life and not think about the market. So I think that's the, that's where you want to get to, but to get there, you have to grind uh, quite a bit as, as we're all aware of.
1: Yeah. I think also, like I was saying before, um, like whenever you're in the first three years, like totally have a lot of plan B's. <laughs> like, not a plan B where it's like this is my fallback, but a plan B where it's like, I like working on trading, I like doing this too. I'll do both. I'll give some energy to this, some to that, some energy over there. Like we talked about in New York, Alex, serendipity. Like, how are you ever gonna how could you beat something up so much whenever there might be something literally? right under your feet that could have made you a millionaire a decade earlier or whatever, or it would have made you happier. Or cause like the fact of the matter is human beings do what we are rewarded for. We don't do something because we straight up just fucking love it. And that's it. And it just sucks all the time. Right. You like, if, if you just go on YouTube right now, Alex, and you start making, way more content about health and you get a shit ton of views for it and people are respecting you for that and and you make a youtube trading video and like no one gives a fuck at all you're gonna start making more health videos because that's what people you you whenever you get rewarded for something it's like fucking it makes you happy like you want to do more of it and it's like whenever we're young traders in the first three years, don't just think of trading as like, this is your only way to do anything. Like you can make money a fuck ton of ways. And if that means making money in some other fashion for three years that kind of just pays your expenses and you don't really love it that much, but it's still something that you get rewarded for, do that until trading takes off. And then whenever trading is your number one source of income again, maybe go back to having no plan B and trading is everything but like, yeah. it's okay to go through seasons in your life where it's like, right now I'm in an explorative stage where I'm going to try to figure out what my edge is outside of the market. And maybe that edge is better than any edge I'll ever have in the stock market. And I need to be okay with that. So
2: yeah. yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah, Amen. All wise Good. words and live your life. I think that's most yes. important too. Uh, or kind of is adds to it. Uh, like what, when I was younger, I made a lot of decisions where it's like oh once i make x or achieve x then i will surf more or then i will do these other things i really like which is totally backwards is you know the cart in front of the horse so you have to do what you love and then by being happy you will achieve much more mm. so don't put anything on hold
0: yeah.
2: also tomorrow's not granted but that's you know <laughs> that's <laughs> a it's a different discussion but uh yeah, you you perform so much better when you're happy and you're you're loving what you do as opposed to like let me just grind it out and then you get miserable and your friends leave you and then uh, you break yeah. up with your girlfriend or you know, like all these maybe ne- potentially negative things uh, just because you're so focused on something when exactly what you said, your your happiness, your your everything was right in front of you the whole time or like all these other opportunities, but your head was so deep mm. in the sand. So. Dude,
1: that's been happening so much to me recently with the cabin. So like for the last three years, I haven't been able to pay any of my expenses monthly. So I literally just take it out of my trading account. Obviously that's a terrible fucking idea um, to try to use trading as like your expense machine whenever you have literally no edge and you don't make no money. But now with Airbnb, I can, I can at least pay for my expenses. And I've noticed a lot recently where I keep saying, oh, if I made if I made a thousand dollars more a month, then I would just fix it. And then I would, I mean, it's easy to say that when you literally make zero, like zero, zero, which is what happened to me for two years straight. Now I'm actually making enough where I can pay for the expenses. And I'm like, if, and then I'm like, wait a second, wait, whoa, whoa. every time I say it now, I immediately just cringe on the inside. And I'm like, if fucking what dude, like what you're fucking sitting right here. It's 75 degrees outside, the sun is shining. You're happy. You have a girlfriend, you have a dog, you have your whole I have my whole family here. I like have an awesome property. I'm so blessed to have like the parents and the family I have and everything. What the fuck do I need in my life? It's not a thousand extra dollars a month. I'll tell you that. Like, if I can't be happy the way I am now, I will never be fucking happy. So, and that's everyone knows that shit. Like, of course, you don't like, yes, everyone knows. Oh, and so you make thirty grand a year. That's the ha- that's the happiest you're ever gonna get from the from money. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like then fucking act like it, you know. Like we all know that shit, but none of us actually sit around and we're like, you know what? I'm fucking grateful that I'm like literally alive alone. That's it. Like I'm not a paraplegic. I like can move. I can fucking talk. I can. I have all my senses. I can do anything I want right now, and it's not gonna hurt anybody and whatever. You know.
0: Yeah. We got to think gotta more grateful.
2: like that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Before you wrap up, Tom, you, you look really tan. Or did you go, do you do your marathon practice? Your, <laughs> yeah, I've been
0: doing, work? I've been doing some running. Um, also been sitting by the pool a lot. So getting my tan on.
2: Dude, life, that sounds great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Man, I, so nice I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm ready to potentially leave the city and just get some property because like, there's so many things I love doing outside and like living in a city, like your best case, you go to a park. Thank God though. Berlin is like the greenest city ever. There's so many parks. It's just, it's beautiful. Uh, and it's very, um, so the density is crazy. It's like 4,000 people per square meter or no square kilometer or something. And then I think it's square kilometer. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because that same denominator in Paris, it's five X. So there it's like 20,000 per square. I think it's kilometer. So I was at Paris like three weeks ago and I was like, Holy crap. It feels like people are on top of each other. And when I get, when I got back to Berlin, it was like, it felt like I was in a village. It was so (laughs) weird. So out of all cities, it's a, it's great, but uh, yeah, man, I, I could like chilling by your pool. That sounds great to me, or like going going back to Panish or something. Yeah, funny, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Um, yeah, I, I you guys knew I lived in I lived in Miami and it was it was terrible, dude. So many so many people, traffic everywhere. It's like concrete everywhere. No no like parks, no grass, no places to hike. I um, you got you got the ocean that to hang out with, hang out and which was nice. Uh, but there's very lack lack of nature. Um, being able to get in nature is very lacking there. Uh, but now I'm in uh, near the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, and dude, everywhere like even where I live is like in the in the woods, so it's real nice. My whole yeah, apartment of complex cute. is in the woods,
2: so That's it's awesome. real nice. Yep.
1: Alex, buy a house and I'll come
2: visit you. <laughs> <laughs> i'll let you know if uh, if we set something up we'll probably need some construction hands uh if we do because we're looking <laughs> at some properties but we're looking at land and uh so it would probably require a bit of building yeah
0: in in uh, germany
2: um actually in portugal at the moment
0: Port- yeah that's right you said that yeah um that'd be cool to buy we some were looking land. in
2: berlin as well in germany outside
1: that'd be cool to get enough land where you could put like a some kind of vacation rental on it or something that you could make money from as well.
2: Yeah. We were thinking about, we, f- Oh man, we found some really cool spots. We were thinking about like one, like bigger communal house and then like several smaller houses. Cause we want to have some friends come. I have a lot of friends from Florida that, you know, I grew up surfing with and it's just like, if we could have a group of people just fly in and no one has to look for a hotel or Airbnb or co-living, you know, it'd be so fun just to have everyone crash and just go surfing for two weeks. So that's kind of like what I'm envisioning. So if I can find the right lot, that's kind of our goal to, yeah, to create. So I'll ship you in you, you and Tom, you guys can get work. And I don't know if Tom likes construction as much as you do. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll hold up my end.
2: There we go. There we go. Get yeah, some nails fun. in. Maybe it should be good. Fun, huh? Get the sauna. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love oh, that. Man.
1: I still was never able to actually like legit surf Wow. Like, I mean, I went out one time in California, but
2: my girlfriend's right. learning. So you guys, she'll, yeah, you just guys boogie board. Yeah. Boogie board too. There's a lot of people that are boogie boarding, especially at this one beach. Cause the waves are super steep. It goes like from that to the, it's called super two and There's just sponges uh-huh. everywhere because the barrels are so nasty, but yeah, it would be fun to get a bodyboard and just, yeah. Well, uh, plans for the rest of the week before we wrap up anything. Anything that's uh, specific on the mind? I guess that all we've, we've talked about probably. There's a
1: rate hike tomorrow.
2: Yeah, macro comes out heavy for the next three days. Oh, you guys Sums. think they?
0: You guys think the uh, the low is in? We're going up from here.
2: Sure, feels like it, but that's yeah. usually right before it whips back. Um, but I think if yeah. it does have a big sell off, I don't see it being a full reversal. Might be a buying opportunity. I don't know. Any thoughts, Colby?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, as of now, it's the smartest thing to do is to just trust the trend and we are fucking 100 million percent going up very, very strongly. So (laughs) until we retrace like over 50 percent of the move that we put in, that's when I'd be like, oh, fuck, maybe this is bad. And that would be like a 10 percent pullback from here. So that's also the point where everyone else would be like, oh, shit, this is bad.
0: And that's so, where you buy.
1: Yep. <laughs> that's where you buy. And that's where they finally start the recession.
2: <laughs> yeah. If there's a big Another pullback, 50%. I would definitely allocate some of it because otherwise you're, you're going to miss out on a lot if you're not somewhat allocated because it could just trend up for the next six months, you know, and then you're you're sitting on your hands and then you get FOMO, then you buy and then, then it falls. So you want to be a it's... little bit allocated
1: yeah it's gonna to be tough as hell trying to catch these bottoms though on these these tickers that are already up so much because man there will be a ton of flush outs before the next like really good pullback it's a clean buying opportunity happens you know
2: yeah
1: it's gonna be hard
2: yeah no i totally agree look at that spies at 456 just constantly breaking new high days yeah. crazy stuff well i guess we could probably wrap it up there uh Unless someone has something to think think about Colby's last thoughts on the spy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nope.
2: Nope. That's that's it for me. All right, guys. Good chat, like always. See you next week. All right. Good luck next with week with your. Nice. I have a good yeah. trading week. Good luck <laughs> yeah, to good everyone. Week. All, All right. Take
1: it easy. Later, boys.